Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. All right, perfect. Right on cue. All right, we are on page 50 of Feminine Faith. Uh, last week, we were on page 50. This week, we're now on page 50. At the top. All right, um, if you don't have a copy from last week, I just sent around the copy of the uh, Sphero. You got a copy? You're good? You got it? All right. Gave around the copy of the, uh, the Sfirot today. So last week we spoke about the various energies that are called Sfirot. Um, these are energies. I wonder if we uh, talked about the context of these energies last week. Give you a little bit of an overview of that. Kabbalah teaches that God creates the world utilizing these various energies. God is beyond these energies. God is not wisdom. God is not limited to wisdom, understanding, knowledge, loving-kindness, severity, compassion, etc. God is God. God is beyond all of these energies. So where do these energies come in play? They come in play when God is in the mode of creating the world and relating to creation. So when God creates the world in the process of creation, in order to create it in an orderly fashion, so God utilizes these various energies in order to project creation of an outside entity. Understand that moving from inside to outside is one of the most difficult steps possible. Now, when we, when we speak about God, obviously there's no difficulty for God. God can do anything. But nonetheless, it becomes that what's difficult for us mirrors what is, if we quote-unquote, difficult above as well. Um, you know, it says that uh, putting together... I'll tell you a story. The Talmud says that there was once a matriarch, a Roman matriarch, that asked one of the Talmudic sages. So after God created the world uh, years ago, right? What, what, what was it then? I don't know, a few thousand years ago. So what's God been doing? So the, the Talmudic sage said, what is God doing? God is uh, pairing up people with each other. God is making, uh, God is a matchmaker. He's making Shadduchim. So she said, what? That's what God is doing? Putting together, wasting his time. What, what's such a... I'll, sh- I'll show you. So the matriarch goes ahead and she had a bunch of servants. So she had a thousand slaves, a thousand uh, male servants and a thousand female servants. And so that, that day she said, okay, you're married to you, 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 you. She arranged the marriages. And she said, see, so easy. I got the rest of the day now. <laughs> the next morning, this one was screaming and this one was crying and this one was it. Anyway, it was a terrible situation. So the Talmud says that, uh, that a shidduch, a, a match, finding a match, is as difficult for Hashem as, for God, as kriyas yamsuf, as splitting the sea. That's what it says. Kasha kriyas yamsuf. It's as difficult as splitting the sea. A few questions come to mind. How, first of all, how difficult is it for God to split the sea? What, it's harder for God to split the sea than to not split the sea? Or is that any less... Right? Well, then, that, that's, that's... In other words, which one? I would think both would, you know, from... Right, how difficult... You know, when we talk about God being omnipotent, omnipotent and all... Exactly. I just think he would know, like... Uh, 
But he would know, and, and what's yeah, and what's you know, what's the difficulty there? It's like so difficult for God to split the sea and or put together shaduchim. Well, splitting the sea goes against every every other thing and impacts every other thing. It's supposed to be a certain way. You're saying it defies all natural law, etc. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. The there's this, but then again, who's the author of natural law? You know, so the author, you know, it. it when when you you know you're when you're writing something up, it's easy for you to take it out. Somebody else is going to be more hesitant because oh they put it in there. I don't know why they put it in there. I'm not going before I pull it out. I have to make sure double check. But if you're the author, so you know why you put it in there, so you take it out. No biggie. No biggie. You know why you put it in. You know why it should be taken out. Perhaps. The counter argument, um, but it says like, it's one of the explanations that's given in Kabbalah is that when it comes to when it came to the splitting of the sea, and when it comes to marriage, we're talking about opposites, opposites coming together. Splitting of the sea was an act of both Chesed and Gevura, was both an act of kindness and an act of severity, was both an act of saving and an act of punishment. There was a salvation for the Jews who passed through on dry land, and there was a punishment for the Egyptians that didn't make it through the other side. And it all happened at the same time. So to do one act that carries in it both attributes of kindness and severity is considered to be, on some level, a little bit difficult. And yet, not because it's necessarily harder for God, but the concept of two opposites coming together has a connotation of difficulty, of challenge. When the two come together, there's a fusion of opposites, and that is a, what's considered to be a difficult or challenging experience. Why do I mention all this? I mention all this for the, for, the, for the simple point that when it comes to creation, even though God forgot to create, stepping back, creation itself, forgot to create is not, doesn't seem to be that difficult. Nonetheless, creation, since it's a blend of all of these various energies and forces that we're speaking about over here, it becomes a process that needs, that, that is on some level a challenging process. And in order to do this process, God employs these various energies that again are contradictory. So this is a little bit of the context. Now, one, one, more, one more part of this, and then I'm going to get to a question. Um, the other part of this is, not only does God invest these energies within creation, and in the creative process, as we spoke a little bit last week about how all of these energies work together to, to produce something creative, to actually produce something creative, but God also invests this, these ten energies within the soul of each of us. So each of our souls, our souls are comprised of these same ten energies that we can employ. We spoke last week about the three intellectual, how we divided these energies. There are three intellectual, three emotional, three practical, and one, one we kind of had difficulty defining, right? Malchut. How did we define it last week? Did we come up with a good definition? We had the intellectual, the emotional, the practical, and leadership, but okay, we're going to leave it a little bit of an enigma because we're going to we're going to break it down today more further. Um, so that is uh, okay. So that's th- those. These are the various dimensions. These all exist within the human being, and they all parallel the energies above. All right. So Doris, let me get to your question, and then we're going to. Question: I didn't really. So is the concept of of have, creating a shitter? 
the same concept of bringing together the two opposites exactly with the concept of severity and kindness or just in general two individuals that have two different perspectives to bring them together as one is profoundly difficult now it's on a human level it's difficult as we know you know, it's, it's, there's challenge with, you know, with in relationships, but also even it says even for God, there's an element of difficulty there. And again, you could say, well, how difficult is it for God? But the point is, whenever two opposites are coming together, there's always it's always called, termed difficult, kasha, difficult. Now, let's understand the role of gender within these energies, because last week we started touching on this. We started touching about the role of gender within the energies, but we didn't really work it through. So, I want to focus on two parallel systems, two parallel gender, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, no, yeah, but, but I'm, I'm going to, we're going to focus on masculine and feminine energies on two dimensions within this, within this chart, within this, uh, within this structure. And, and here's how it's going to go. Chachma and Bina and Kabbalah are called Av Va'im, or Abba and Ima. Huh? Chachma's Abba or Av, Chachma's father, Bina is mother, Aim or Ima. Chachma and Bina, wisdom and understanding, father, mother, masculine, feminine. Okay? What is Chachma? Intellectual conception. What is Bina? Bina is intellectual comprehension or understanding. One is, let's call it the seminal point of the idea. And one is the elaboration of that idea. One is breaking that idea down, understanding it well, and giving it, building out the idea. So one is the seminal point, and one is building out the idea. What does that sound like? Sounds like the process of birth, right? Right. There's the seminal point, there's the seminal DNA, right? And that seminal drop, and then you have... The, uh, the feminine role in building out and turning that into an actual living child, right? Developing it into something that actually has life. So you have Chachma, the point of the idea, doesn't have life yet. It's like the, it's the initial flash of, of the idea. It's the initial point. It's, aha, I think I have an idea here. And then the process of Bina is understanding it, breaking it down, fleshing it out. Fleshing it out, giving it flesh. Giving it a body so that it becomes a real idea. Now, because of this, one second now, because of this, we have a very interesting thing. It's been said, now, we have to be very careful in the application. That being said, in other words, what I'm about to do is we're about to tread into murky waters. Why are we treading into murky waters? Because any time we translate masculine and feminine energies down into men and women, it becomes challenging because both men, as we've said from the beginning of this class, from the beginning of the series, men and women have both. A man has Chachma and Bina and a woman has Chachma and Bina. In other words, everyone has both energies of masculine and feminine. Nonetheless, there is an energy that's called masculine, predominantly masculine, and there's an energy that's called predominantly feminine. So now, so again, why am I entering into murky waters? Because I'm about to begin stereotyping men. Okay? And again, what am I, I'm not stereotyping down to it, but we're going to start talking about some applications because, because it's fun. Okay, now. <laughs> and again, by no means is this definite, but again, we're, we're just talking about this now. It's been said about men 
that um, men have the ability to, uh, you know, it's not really relevant nowadays because we're past that, but back in the day, you know, you used to have to look at a map. You know, if you're going on a road trip, you pull out a map, right? You got to fold out that map and kind of figure out where you're going and then, like, choose your highways, choose your, choose your route. So, men can figure out, a, you know, how to get to Tucson. Right? They, they can find Tucson, but they can't find socks in their own drawer. So it says about, it's been said about men. Huh? Well, it, it, they refuse to ask for directions when they can't find Tucson. Okay, so, uh, but I want to focus on what, right, this is also true. Suddenly GPS comes around and, uh, and, and we listen. Anyway, that's another story. Okay, so here's the deal. So, what's that kind of, so modern, so there have been studies that have shown, we get a little scientific, there have been studies, that there are, there have been studies that have shown that men have a greater um, long distance vision, whether literal or metaphorical, but are, are less proficient in the immediate vision. In other words, women have a greater peripheral vision. In other words, the ability to see and perceive things in their immediate surroundings. Whereas men have less of that ability and more of the ability to see further, longer distances. This is one way in which it may play out. Being able to see Tucson, but not see what's in front of you. You know, it's been said that women are better multitaskers. Multitaskers means that you see a lot of, it's like a peripheral type of activity. It's, you see there's a lot of things lined up, right? And you're, and you're moving from one to the other laterally. Whereas men may have, a, and again, you have to be careful because once you get into men and women, so there's, there's, it's, not, it's not defined by men and women. These are just perhaps masculine and feminine qualities, but a masculine quality might be seeing further. Adam. It's a great question. It's a great question. The short answer is that um, it says that the optimal state of union is when these two energies converge as one. So Chachma and Bina, wisdom and understanding, are the, one without the other is going to be dominant in one. It is is going to be dominant in one energy, not the other. The optim, the the ideal is when you have Chachma and Bina working together. What, it's perhaps one of the cases for marriage, yeah. That you're, you're able to blend both approaches. Now, I will tell you that one of the... So, I'll tell you, one of the... Now, here's the, here's the trick. Because one of the frustrations, perhaps, in relationships is that the other person sees things differently than I do. And they relate to things differently than I do. According to the way we understand this Kabbalistically, it's not a bad thing. In other words, it's not a bad thing that we each have our different approaches and perceive things in a different way and go about understanding, looking at things, operating in a different way. That's okay. It's a good. It, it, the, the healthy approach is to understand and appreciate where the other one is coming from and to integrate that or to, to basically figure out a way how to work together and, and emerge both approaches. Sometimes it's going to be more this way, more that way, but there's a, definitely an integration. 
But here's the point. Chachma, which is all about uh, uh, the seminal point of the idea, like the idea that's not yet fleshed out and, and broken down into detail, right here, that's more of a, a more of an aloof or longer, uh, long-distance vision. Whereas Bina means I'm understanding it right here, right now, it's right in front of me, I have all the details worked out. So Chachma, if you wanted to talk about a, um, let's say a paper, an essay that you're writing, so Chachma would be kind of the, what do you call it when you write before, like, the thesis, uh, not the, the outline, no, but there's, is there a more scientific or academic word for that? The hypothesis, it's more of the, the idea, right, that you're charting out before the essay. And, uh, and Bina would be when you actually flesh out and you put all the details down on the paper, everything, all the details are there in front of us. These are the two energies as they interplay. Good. Now, we also have a parallel system um, of masculine and feminine when it comes to the, uh, the, lower, uh, the lower half, the lower two-thirds of the chart. Okay, so we have Chachma, Bina, and Dat. We didn't speak about that, which is knowledge, because that is already considered, it's not really the offspring, but it's, it's, part, of, it's part of the offspring of Chachma and Bina. By the way, let's actually finish off the, the analogy of, of masculine and feminine with Chachma and Bina. From wisdom and understanding is born the emotions. That's how Kabbalah says uh, what happens. So you, under, you have an idea, you flesh out the idea, so you, you have a certain a certain element of a certain uh, amount of understanding. And based on that understanding, based on that perception, based on that comprehension, etc., that produces a certain feeling for or against that thing. So based on your analysis, you have a certain feeling of, do I like it? Do I not like it? Am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? It's kind of like a, a push-pull in the heart based on what you understood. And based on, and how do you understand? What's your understanding? It's your understanding is a composite of the wisdom and the understanding, or the chachma and the bina. So the chachma and bina working together produce children, offspring. Right, the masculine and feminine are coming together, producing offspring. Offspring are the emotions in this system, in this top, in this upper, in this upper system. Now, what does this mean? Well, I said, Adam, one second, I'm going to get to you. This system is known as what's called yichud. There are different ways to explain this, but one way to explain it is it's called upper unity. The unity or the union. The union is the masculine and feminine energies of Chachma Bina. And this is the higher unity of this, the higher form of the unity on this chart. As we'll see, there's a lower unity as well. When we get to the lower dimensions, there's also masculine and feminine. But this is masculine and feminine, the union as it exists at the top of the, uh, the energy chart. Adam. You're going on a premise that I wonder about, about feelings. Unless we're talking about something different, you're going on the premise that feelings, more often than not, have something to do with uh, something rational, intellect. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, in a healthy system, the mind is controlling the heart. This is a basic premise of Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. In a healthy human being, it's the mind that's guiding the heart and not the heart. In other words, it's, the, it's the intellect that's guiding the emotions and the emotions are not running loose on their own. Not to say that there can't be a system like that. Of course there can be. But that's not the system where, that's not the ideal system of a human being. The ideal system of a human being, if you look at the human being the way they stand upright, so you have the mind that's above the heart 
And what that signifies is that the mind is meant to control the heart. So even if, we spoke about this, uh, I think, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, even if the heart, by its own impulse would want to respond and react in a certain way, right? Somebody pushes your buttons, right? There's a certain trigger that happens, and your gut reaction is to get angry, to get jealous, to get sad, to get... Whatever it is, your natural reaction is to feel a certain way. You have the ability, and it's not an ability that, uh, that, that comes right away. It's something that's... It's the abilities there, but it's... We have the ability, through training ourselves, to be able to think rationally in that moment and therefore produce a different way in which we feel in the moment. To think about, so for example, uh, we spoke about resentment a few weeks ago. We said that resentment uh, is like drinking poison and hoping the other is going to die. You know, resentment kills us, it's like an acid for our soul, or even worse, it's poison for our soul. And we drink it as we feel resentment, we, we have such resentment about that other person, that other thing that happened. Meanwhile, it's killing us, and the other one doesn't know about it, so it doesn't affect them. So we said that resentment is born from a place of not recognizing that everything comes from God, and if everything comes from God, so this negative thing, or that which, I, that which appears to me as being negative, also comes from God, and if it comes from God, it's ultimately for my good. So even though it came through that person, and that person has to face the music for their choices, but the fact that it happened to me is a learning, a growth experience for me, so what am I resentful for? That that person did something wrong, so I feel compassion. I feel compassion that they, that they succumb to such a, such a place where they should be the cause for harm for another human being. But as far as I go, I'm not going to feel resentment. I'm going to feel, um, as certainly I don't feel this is a great thing, but I feel certainly that this is a learning opportunity. The point is that we have the ability through consciousness, meditation, the, our thought patterns, what we study, what we think about, etc. We have the ability to change how we feel in a given moment. So even though the trigger might be there, but what is produced from the trigger, in other words, what the trigger triggers, doesn't have to always follow. Right? The trigger is resentment, anger, sadness, jealousy, rage, whatever it is, negative, ugly emotions. It doesn't have to, ha- it doesn't have to follow through. Based on what I'm thinking in the mind. So the mind, do- the mind can't control the heart. But again, Adam, to your question specifically, you're right. Not in, in, not, not in every situation will the mind control the heart, and not in every situation will the emotion be based on, uh, on a mindful way of thinking. However, this is a healthy system. enough information or wisdom that you make great choices and this is why children or maybe you don't respond to it, this is why children in general are more passionate and emotional. Why? Because their minds are not, they're, they're not as developed. So a child is, is predominantly emotion because the mind is developing. It's almost like the heart is fully there. They can feel love. Right? A little child that, that runs to you and gives you a big fat hug, there's an outpouring of love there. A, you know, a few minutes later, it's, you know, they don't get what they like. It's, you hate me. You, if, if they, it does, so the, the issue is, the issue, the reality is for children, their minds have not yet matured to the point where they can can go through this process. Now, part of the role of education of parents and teachers and schools and synagogues and rabbis is to teach this idea that the mind can, number one, can control the heart and how the process of the mind controlling the heart, how that works out. What? Sure, no problem. No, absolutely. No problem. So, part of the process of education 
is teaching children, teaching ourselves, teaching others, this process of the mind directing the heart. And again, this is a challenge for all of us, right? You come home from work, and you're tired, and then suddenly you, all you want to do is relax, and then suddenly somebody asks you to do something. And you feel like, I just got over more. I, uh, right. So there's a natural reaction. The question is, how do we mitigate that reaction in a mindful way? And it becomes a process of analyzing, a self-analysis, understanding where our challenges are, what situations kind of throw us off, what kind of situations challenge us on an emotional level, what is it that I need to think about, study, meditate on, get my mind, what space, where do I need to get my mind to alleviate that, and then put it in practice. And it sounds easy, it's not so easy, but, it, but there's a process there. Really, since we're such emotional beings, and we're, it's set up that way, that process you're talking about is, that's, there's, that's the point. That's a lifelong process. I mean, but that's the point. Sure. Otherwise it would be set up in a different way. Absolutely. And, and it's, as we've discussed many times, the, um, the two souls, which are uh, called the animal soul and the godly soul, the two souls... <laughs> I've never been in a call center, but I can only imagine. I thought you were going to go with like in an arcade. <laughs> Pretty like pinball. Um, okay, so, so we have two souls. The, 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 the godly soul, right? the, the divine soul, the higher soul, the godly soul, that's one soul. The other soul is the animal soul, the natural soul, the vital soul, the human soul. Um, the one upstairs? Mm, no, 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 no. We have the godly soul, which is the higher soul. And then we have, no, all of these souls are within us. Then we have the animal soul, the natural soul, the vital soul. What am I missing? No, no, we're not talking about intellectual soul. So anyway, these are the two souls. We'll, we'll, we'll just generally do animal soul, godly soul and animal soul. Godly soul, animal soul. The higher and the lower. So Kabbalah says that where is the godly soul found? In the mind. Where is the animal soul found? In the heart. Doesn't mean that the godly soul can't be emotional. Doesn't mean that the animal soul can't be intellectual. They can. But where is it predominantly based? One is in the mind and one is in the heart. That's how it works. The point is for them to really communicate with Of course, other. absolutely. The ideal, right, the ideal is that the godly soul is influencing the animal soul, training the animal soul. Remember we once had a Kabbalah tunes? Training your... Remember like years ago we had that? Years ago, like last year or two. Anyway, we train your... Uh, train your animals, like a little robotic dog. It was like a cute little... Anyway. May I have to, may I have to break it out again? Alright, pull out your smartphones. Go to WW. Um, anyway, so good. So that's the point. So we have the God, so the higher soul and the lower soul. The higher soul, the godly soul is in the mind. The lower soul, the natural soul. It's not a bad soul. There's nothing wrong with emotions. But emotions left to their own devices are very volatile and, and could veer off a healthy path. Nothing wrong with being passionate. Nothing wrong with feeling emotional. You know, so you might say, so does that mean that we, I can never feel anything? I can never have real feeling and real passionate emotions, not filtered in an intellectual way? We should be re- robotic and have, robot, I am robotic emotions, I now love, I now don't like. I mean, is that what we're... You like that, right? I just need to get the... So, 
it, does that mean that we're supposed to be robotic and not natural, not human beings that are passionate? Of course not. What it means is, though, to recognize. Look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's, there's two ways to do this. One way is where the, where the person recognizes, the person, we'll take the person as a whole. You recognize, my emotions are out of control. This happens, that trigger, the other trigger, I get jealous, I get sad, I get ra- all these ugly things, resentful, and I don't like that. So I'm, I'm going to have to now start the process, start the process, the way it's explained in the Kabbalah and the Hasidic philosophy, how to get in control of my mind, mind control, not someone else controlling your mind, yourself controlling your mind, controlling your thoughts and your reaction up here so that you can control your reaction down here. Step number one. That's all in the beginning. The higher step, the deeper step, that's step one. Step two is when you've trained your heart. So now it can be passionate, but it's going to be passionate in a healthy way because it knows now its limits. You understand? You're not trying to kill the heart. You're not trying to kill the emotion. What you're trying to do is train the emotions, train the heart, so that the heart can be passionate in a healthy way. So the heart can love in a healthy way. Let me give you a quick example about love. Love, we've always defined in this class, the way Kabbalah defines love. Love is the feeling of closeness and the desire to get closer. That's what love is. Love is, again, love is the feeling, and you can substitute closeness with attraction, but attraction may have other connotations to it. Love is the feeling of closeness. I think we're being tested. Our emotions are being tested. So, love is the feeling of closeness. There's some, some form of connection. And it's the desire to get closer. Whereas, the opposite of that, gvura, is a sense of distance. And the desire to keep it, that, to keep it distant and maybe a little bit more. Gvura has its place. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. Or maybe soon. Who knows? We'll see where this goes. But love, love again, is a feeling of closeness and a desire to get closer. Here's the problem. Love can turn into obsession. And obsession can turn into suffocate. Um, so we're looking for smothering. Love can turn into stalking. Right? Think about it. It's like, I feel a closeness, so I want to get closer. But what's the ultimate closeness? Consumption, in a sense. Right? The ultimate closeness, think about food. Right? I, I love challah. Right? What am I doing? I'm consuming challah. It's now part of me. That's how much I love it. Sometimes love, right? But th- okay. I'm just saying. This is, all, all this is by way of illustration. That's, okay, again. The point is that sometimes, not sometimes, the ultimate closeness is where it becomes part of you. But in a relationship that's profoundly unhealthy. If you consume the other, where are you? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you thinking? It becomes, it becomes a little bit, right? think about it, it becomes a little bit spooky. No, it becomes a little bit stifling. So here's the deal, here's the deal. So the question is, you tell somebody that's feeling this love, and all they want to do is get closer and closer and closer, the ultimate closeness. So you tell them, which means in Yiddish, which, in Yiddish, which is Yiddish for, listen up. Hold on, slow it down. Say, you feel love, and you want to get, you feel closeness, and you want to get closer. Fantastic. 
but you're pushing away the other person. You're pushing away the other person. They're, gonna, they're running the other direction because it's too, it's too much. You've got to calm it down. We need some here. We need some contract. Right. We need some limitation of the energy here. We need to, we need to slow it down. A little gavura action here. A little distance. So the person says, but this is how I feel. So you're telling me I shouldn't feel love? Understand, understand what's happening. So a person, and this could be an internal dialogue. Perhaps. So you say, the heart will tell the head. You're telling me not to feel. That's what I am. You're killing me. You're telling me I shouldn't feel. So what, what, what do I have left? I don't have anything left. You're telling me not to be who I am. I'm love. I want to get closer. I can't be love. What am I supposed to be? Who do you want me to be? This is who I am. So you tell the heart like this. I'm not telling you not to love. But I want to train you how to love in a healthy way. And love in a healthy way means that you're going to have, that, that you're going to, have to understand that what you're doing has a repercussion, has a reaction that is unhealthy in the, in the bigger picture. The mind can understand this. The heart, the mo- specifically this emotion of love, doesn't understand it. Love just knows love. It's pure love. All it wants to do is get closer to the ultimate closeness. The mind says, wait, let's understand this. There's a bigger picture here. So here's the deal. It's not that the mind is out to spoil the fun of the heart. It's not that the mind is all about pouring cold water. The heart says, what are you, you're raining on my parade. right?" The heart says, what are you doing to me? Here I was, trying to get closer, and it, a big old uh, kibosh. You kiboshed me. What's going on? So the mind has to explain to the heart like this. You know, you want closeness. You're not going to get closeness this way. You're going to get alien. You're, you're going to get a restraining order. That's what you're going to get. You're not going to get. Cl- you're not going to get closeness. This is not the way for closeness, right? You're not going to get closeness in this way because it's. It, you, it is your object, your your own objective, your own state of goal, which is the ultimate closeness, is not going to be achieved through your methods. The heart says, "But I don't understand. This is this is what feels right." So you say, "Wait, wait, wait. I know it feels right, but let me train you to look at things in a different way." And this is the process. And again, this happens inside. This happens internally, right? The mind starts explaining to the heart a healthy way of feeling. Not that the heart. Again, I said step one is you just put the reins on the on the heart. But then the ultimate objective is to train the heart to love in a healthy way. And when the, when the heart senses its own, par, its own parameters and limitations, it can be ultimately free to express itself in the most powerful love in a healthy way. Because it inherently senses that it's not going to go outside of its borders, but within its space, it is 100%. It's almost like I want to give one way of understanding this, it says that when God spoke to Moses, this is going to sound like, whoa, where did that come from? But you'll see the connection in a second. It says that in the, in the, in the tabernacle, in the, uh, the portable sanctuary, what was the precursor to the holy temple in Jerusalem, but when they were still traveling in the desert, so it was a portable sanctuary. So in that portable sanctuary, so the Torah tells us that Moses would communicate with God in the Oham Moed, in the tent of meeting, by the ark between, it was in the, in the holiest place within that sanctuary, within that tabernacle. God would speak to Moses in that inner, in the inner chamber there. The Torah uses the word, the voice. 
when the voice of God would speak to Moses, would communicate with Moses, the, our sages tell us, why does it call God's voice the voice? The voice of God. What is the voice? So you say, well, I have to say the voice, because that's the voice. Ha'kol, the voice. Our sages tell us that what is it an allusion to? It, this alludes to the fact that the voice that spoke to Moses was the same voice, the voice of God that spoke to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. The same voice that was so loud that every creature on earth heard the voice, sensed the message, got the communication at that point in time. That same voice spoke to Moses in that space when God, when, when God was communicating with Moses. And yet, it was only in that space that the voice was heard. And outside that curtain, outside that space, silence. No one else could hear. So in this space you had, and again, all of the, a lot of this is not literal, but it's conceptual, even conceptually it's very powerful. Inside this space you had the full power, God's full voice, the same voice that pronounced, uh, I am the Lord your God, etc. at Mount Sinai for everyone to hear. So on one hand, huh? And see. At the same time, it was limited to that space. So here you have a limitation, a confinement of, but within that confinement, you have the full, full glory, full expression. The same thing is true with healthy emotions. Healthy emotions, don't be mistaken to think that what Kabbalah, what Hasidic philosophy is advocating is are human beings that are robotic, very intellectual, and not so much with the emotions. Right? Very unfeeling, very cold and calculated. Not at all. The idea is to use the mind to train the heart so that the heart should be passionate and fully expressed within a healthy framework. Yeah. A couple things that come to mind. The way your analogy about the, the mind communicating with the heart, the language that you used was the mind speaking the language that the heart would understand. Correct. Basically saying, this is not serving you. Your own stated purpose, which is love and closeness, is going to be not achieved through your actual goals. So if you start speaking exactly, and, and I don't want to take away your thunder, continue the point. So, so the idea being, you're, you're using that language, but you're applying certain principles right. from another sphere, from another sort of viewpoint. A broader picture, right? But still speaking the same language, which is so interesting, like when you're communicating with children, if you're not speaking a language that they understand, even though you're trying to maybe redirect them towards a different way of being, it just goes... They, they don't get it. Because they're in the space of emotions, they're in the space of reaction and emotion. They took my toy, bonk. I don't want to share. Eh? This is a younger set. Although, do we ever grow out of that? Do we ever really grow out of that? Someone cuts us off. <laughs> right? Or worse. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Uh, anyway. It's almost like, it's almost like creating... Um, because I think about with my own children, it's so easy to have them, to, to have them shut down all that, like, all that volatility. Right. But actually, that just creates adults that are totally shut down. Correct. Right. The ideal is not to shut them down. Right. So, in fact, it's just really trying to get them to have that emotion in a safe... In, in a healthy... In a healthy boundary. Exactly. Exactly. It's that's why I say I want to be so clear. It's not about stifling emotion, creativity, reaction, etc. It's about re it's about training it so that it exists in its full glory. 
in a healthy space, within healthy guidelines, within a healthy within within healthy parameters. That's the ultimate. And and again, how do you do that? The general every emotion and every mind is going to have to figure out how it's going to do that on an individual basis. But the general notion is that you got to speak the language of the heart. You got to tell the heart. You got to tell the emotion why it's not in its own best interest to do that. Discipline. Let's talk about discipline for a second. I'm going to ask you a question one second. Let's just flip it the other way. Discipline is all about creating boundaries. So, but a person could be such a disciplinarian that they create such boundaries, right? Like, you know, the old, the maybe the old um, uh, stereotype of the stern father, right? Maybe the military dad who always is criticizing the child. So, coming from not a place. It's not coming from a negative place, necessarily. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. It's not necessarily coming from a negative place. It might come from a place of, I want to set boundaries, I want to teach, and I'm teaching through, in a sense, distance, and creating those. But, too much, and you're just going to break the child. You know, too, many, too, many, too many rules, too many, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right. So, the process, the, the stated uh, objective is instruction and, and direction. The problem is, that it could it could break a child it could break a child's self esteem it could break a child uh, emotionally so the point so you want to you want a child that excels so you're going to point out all the wrong things that might not actually get to your intended purpose so again it also works not only for chesed it works for gvura you want you want a healthy child that knows what's right and what's wrong it's not necessarily going to be in your best interest gvura which is severity limitations, discipline, etc. It's not going to be within your best interest to keep on pushing in that, di- in that direction. You have to also ease it up a little bit. Yeah. Rabbi, the only little issue is that it all, it's all adversarial, sort of like, you know, point-counterpoint kind of. And it's, I think, rather than training the, the emotion, it's educating, and creating consciousness. Like, hey, you know, hey, when you wake up, Romeo, I'm still here. You know, like, y- your actions... You know, of your emotional responses to things, you know, are not in a vacuum, and it's not like so much that just because it's like as if their emotions and 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 the mental are separate. They're all part of the same, and it's you're saying, I know you're focused, and I, and I like the passion, I like I like the energy, but realize there's other concepts to consider, and you know, and uh, I think that's really what what he's doing, as opposed to saying, you know. Hold back, you know, this because of all the negative. It's more, you know, it's the totality of the of the being, and and so and and, and because see, the thing is, see, the the, the brain without the emotions is a vacuum. I'm with you. I, I think the only cha- I'm with you as to as to the, the the angle that you're taking. The only challenge there is if a person tries to elevate the the, the emotions. To look at it from my perspective. That is a challenge for the emotions. Because they don't see things like that. Now, as you say to the emotions, I understand how you're feeling, but consider my opinion. An emotion... No, no, no my opinion. Or understand that you're part our, our of... Situ- our situation. That's <laughs> but that's an intellectual approach. What I'm saying is, the mo- I, I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is, maybe that's step two of the process. And there's various steps. But step one could be explain it to the heart itself... Your own objective, what you yourself want to achieve through this, is for, it's for your own benefit to tone it down. Let alone for our benefit. As a t- I know that I understand what you're saying, and I think that's the ultimate point where everything's working together in a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Well, you know that yeah, but today talks all about 
described the Hesed, that Tiferet is really more true love, what we think about where it's love, including caring about the other person. But it's the Hesed where it can get to the point of smothering or stalking or whatever. Right. Or, and even short of that, just the, if it's all about I want to get closer to you, it sounds like it's not really focused on the other person. It's just about your own. So right. See, I want to give. I want to be generous. I want to give. It's we, the old example that we that we've used many times is you know g- giving a child a knife because the child asks. So I'm going to give. I'm a giving person. I want to be a nice guy, right? I want to be a good. Uh, yeah, I want to give. I want to be a giver. So you got you got to know who you're giving to. You got to take into consideration. That's your point, right? You got to take into consideration the needs of the recipient. And to ferret, you're saying is sounds like a harmonious blend of that. also something to me that the way you describe that love that can turn into obsession doesn't leave any room for God in there. You know, that's sort of so, um, it, it, there's not enough, and doesn't leave any room for self or God. Right. It's, it's a total, it, there's no detachment, healthy detachment, seeing yourself as a separate individual who has to serve a higher purpose regardless of the object of your love or obsession. And I think that's that's a more profound point that's also part of the process. But again, it's in the, it's it's trying to train. So this is how in every relationship, a person says, in every relationship, I end up getting too attached and pushing away the person. The person recognizes that, but they see the patterns, right? I get I get too close and I push it away. So what I'm saying is there's a lot of there's a lot of angles that can be taken. I understand that the totality of it, I understand the God's place. Same but Point number one is to explain to the emotions, to explain to love itself how, listen, you want love, you want to get closer, you want to get closer to the point where there's still a distance there that can, you know, part of, part of the definition that I gave with love is the actual answer to the issue, but it's still an intellectual answer. Love is closeness and wanting to get closer. Once you're at the ultimate closeness, you can't get closer. And the love is not... In other words, love itself dictates that there needs to be distance in order to have that distance with which to want to bridge. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Right? Love is... Right? Love is the feeling of closeness. Part of the magic of love is the desire to get closer. Well, if a person ever feels like, well, that's as close as we're going to get, the magic is gone. The magic is gone. We know everything about each other and that's it. So we're could be friends, but that love, the love, which is that magnetic, that feeling of there's closeness, you sense the magic there, right? You sense the magic, and you want to get even closer. If you subvert that by, by getting the ultimate, close, the ultimate closeness, so that, that destroys the love. Because now there's nothing to bridge anymore. So you tell the emotion also... Don't get so close to the point that you can't get closer. Does that make any sense? Which is why... Sure, sure. Which is why, perhaps, internally, sometimes it could be possible that folks in a relationship perhaps might, I've heard, can get into conflict. Think about it. Can get into conflict. Folks in a relationship. You got lost in that. I, I, also, I almost also lost it. Like, Super Bowl next week, what? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
in a sense, conflict is the greatest tool we have in keeping the love alive. <laughs> you understand? Why? Because the, 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 the conflict, and again, not big conflict, but a little, 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 little conflict, creates a little bit of distance that you can make up, that you can, you know, can bridge it again. Again, if it's, all, if it's too dramatic and it's like to the point where it's going that's, to, that's too, that's too much. But again, healthy love includes a healthy distance because part of love is bridging a distance. It's almost like, you know, the jur- it's about the journey, not the destination type thing with love. So, again, this is another... You, you want to start talking to your heart and, and about love and about healthy love, so these are two angles. Number one, if you love like that, if you love so much, so strong, so consuming... You're not going to have it. It's, it's going to run away. Number two, you want love, which is to get closer. So, so don't... If you get too close, you're not going to be able to do what you like to do, which is desire. To, to get closer, right. If you get too close, you're not going to be able to get closer, in a sense. You're on the other side. Huh? You're on the other side. It's like, oh. <laughs> now what? Don't get too close too soon. My experience, hence the five days. Oh, yeah. Wow, okay, so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's, a, that's another topic. Anyway. Um, Good. So this is all, all of this, by the way, is a general understanding of the interaction on a human level of these different energies. And the general notion is the three upper energies at the top of the chart are the intellectuals. The bottom energies that are divided into various categories, but the bottom energies are more of the emotional energies. And it's the upper that give rise and birth to the lower. What does it mean? We have to be careful with this. Because what Adam said is accurate before. It's not as if... Oh, Adam, I think this is going to address your question from earlier in a more solid way. When we say that the intellect... I'll tell you, and you'll, you'll see what I'm saying in a second. When we say that the intellect, that the union of Chachma Bina, Abba and Ima, Av and Aim, father and mother, right? Chachma, the seminal wisdom. Bina, the building out of the understanding. They come together so with, to, for an idea. They, now you have an idea. Then you have emotions that are produced. doesn't mean that the emotion is actually being born from the wisdom, the intelligence. It says in Kabbalah that emotions have their own source on high. In other words, out of this system, within, a, let's say, a human being, there's a source on high. So the source of emotions comes from a separate place. It's not as though Chachma plus Bina equals Chaser. That's where it's born. That's where it's born in the sense of that's what can guide it, that's what can give it direction, that's what can give it structure and form and purpose and meaning, etc. But not that. The, the, the only existence of chesed of love is only when you've thought about it beforehand. Not true. A person can have a powerful reaction, emotional reaction, without processing it in the mind. Which tells us that it's not, it doesn't, it's not born from the mind, but it's the, in a healthy system, it's, ri- it's given rise from the mind. There's a difference. You see the difference? Yeah, isn't it analogous to a child isn't really born of the mother and father, it's still a child of God, the mm. mother and father is a vehicle. Right, in other words, you might be able to say, right, that, that the, although the Talmud says that the three partners in creation, father, mother, God, so, yeah, it could, but there is, yeah, well... It might be, it might be. But I'm thinking with a father and mother, 
there is uh, is there more that that the father mother that the parents are contributing in that than in this case I don't know I have to think about it but it's it's possibly connected the idea is that the emotions don't, their source is not the mind but their source in coming up and, and having direction etc is from their parents as far as educators and and guidancers and guiders that makes sense are are the are the uh, the the the, uh, the powers of intelligence now let's move on that's all the upper union let's talk about the lower union the lower union we said of masculine and feminine energies so we have now on the bottom half Bottom two-thirds. Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, and Malchut. So if you notice on the chart, so we have two triangles. We actually have three triangles, but the lower two-thirds, we have two triangles. Chesed, Gevura, Teferet. Loving, kindness, severity, compassion form one triangle. The point of the triangle being down. Then you have the next triangle, Netzach, Hod, Yesod. That's triangle number two also pointing down. And then you have Malchut at the bottom. Now, Kabbalah explains that the six energies, Chesed through Yesod, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, those six energies are called, as we said at the end of last week's class, they're called the acronym, or the, 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 the phrase that they're called, referred to as is Zah, which means Ze'er Anpin. You want to write in English, you can write in English, Ze'er, um, maybe it's Z-E-I-R, or no, actually here it's written Z-E-Y-R, Ze'er, Footnote 105 on page 51, if you have the book. Ze'er Anpin, which means small face. Small face is a reference to these six energies. Why is it called small face? Why is it not called long face? Well, because that name was already taken by uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, energies within the, the realm of Keter, within the crown. But that's another story. That's another class. The, these, uh, these energies are called Zah. What you, the, the important thing to remember about Zah... Is as follows. So Zeir Anpin, the acronym for which is Zah, either Zayin Aleph, Zeir Anpin, or Z-A, Zeir Anpin. Now, Zah is known as the masculine uh, energies. Malchut, at the bottom, is known as the feminine energy. What's the difference between the masculine and the feminine energies in this system? It says like this. Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yisod, all of these energies are all about projection, all about giving, all about mashpi, all about giving over or emanating a certain reality, emanating a certain uh, dimension. This one emanates love. This energy emanates severity or discipline. This one emanates compassion. It's all about giving these energies out, projecting these energies out. Malchut is not about projection, it's not about emanating a certain energy, it's all about receiving the energies. Which energies, all of the energies, and specifically the last six that preceded, those energies, receiving those energies and internalizing. Now, this is very important. Malchut, in Kabbalah, it says like this, Les la megarme klum which is Aramaic for Malchut has nothing of its own. Let's understand what this means. It says that Malchut doesn't emanate its own energy. It merely receives that which the other energies that projected before it. It internalizes in itself. And that's what it is. It is the receiver. Now, let's use the example of a cup. Because a cup is the ultimate vessel. We're talking about recipient or vessel. Let's talk about a cup. So here I have a cup sitting in front of me. 
So I, t- I have this cup, and I take water, and I take um, wine, and I take tea, and I take coffee, and I pour it in there. What do I have in my cup? A mess. Yeah. Something that I would not drink. I would not recommend you drinking either. So, right. But now, but I, I have inside my cup water, wine, what were the other things? Coffee and tea. These are the things. So, what do I have? I have what I have. Now, I take it. I take it and I pour it out. What do I have? Well, yeah, but when I pour it out, okay, I pour it out into another cup. What do I have in the second cup? Same thing. Also a mess, right? I have also coffee, tea, water, wine. I have the same elements. Malchut is different. When we say that Malchut is a recipient, so Malchut is like the vessel that contains within it all of the six energies above it, Malchut does something much more than just receive. Malchut, if you notice, the the definition of Malchut on the chart is leadership. Or Malchut, Melech. Melech means king. Malka means queen. It's a feminine energy, so more, more precisely is actually... Malka, which means queen. Malchut, the leader, the king, the queen, the sovereign, the royal, royalty, sovereignty, etc. It's all about, in a sense, this is, you'll see how, how we bridge this, this conceptual gap. It's all about actually creating something else. Creating something else. In the example that we gave last week about building a house... Right? We talked about building a house. We, we spoke about how it begins with an idea, Chachma. Wow, I really want to build a house. And then, Bina, what does that mean? I really want to build I understand the idea. And how we process it, we went through all of the different emotions and practical considerations. We spoke about all of the, 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 the upper energies and how that's processed within a human being, the, the, the project of building a house. Then it comes to Malchut. Malchut means the actual delivery of the product. Malchut means you're actually going ahead and building your house. Malchut means you're actually producing, creating, actually creating a house. What began as an intellectual idea, hey, it would be a great idea to build a house, now is becoming reality. Malchut is all about creation. It's all about actually creating it. Here's how it works. Malchut is not just a passive recipient that takes in it all of the ideas and energies that preceded it and then spits it out. Because if it spits it out, you're going to have a mess. Understand that when I put in water, wine, uh, whatever, all the, all the liquids that I put in here, right, and I poured it back out, what I had was a mess. Malchut takes the mess. Malchut takes all of the energies. Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Chod, Yisod, takes all of the six energies of Zah that are messy. Why are they messy? Because they're all in different, they all run in different directions. One is running love, one is running discipline, one is running compassion. They're all in different spaces. And all these energies, they're all giving their input. This input, that input, the other input. Malchut takes everything in. And Malchut begins to filter and understand what is the essence of this energy. And what is the essence of that energy. And what is the essence of the third energy. And what is the essence of the fourth energy. And really gets to the, to the essence of all the energies. Then, harm, then brings harmony to them all. And then has the ability to create something that's structured and meaningful based on the input from all of the ideas. Let me give you an example of, uh, of, 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 a, of a team. Right? You're at a team meeting. Right? You work in a company, you're at a meeting. And everyone's got, got their ideas. So, you know, right, Bob has Bob always goes that direction. Whenever there's a question, Bob is like, no, this we got to do this. Right? Very strong, very passionate. Then you have uh, Sam. Sam always has his opinion. And then you have Jane. Jane always has her opinion. Everyone's got their opinion. Everyone's got their angle. 
then someone has to take all of the different opinions, all the different opinions, understand the essence of all of them. Not cho- it's easy to choose one and th- we're going with that one. But real consensus building re- is really taking all of the ideas, understanding all of the ideas, which is a process of really listening, really hearing the ideas, breaking them all down to their essential properties. In other words, there's a process of decomposition. I know you're passionate about this idea, but what's at the heart of it? Let's get to the heart of it. Let's get to the essence of it. You break it down, and then you can produce something, an action plan moving forward, perhaps that incorporates all the ideas. Even the ones that seem contradictory. That's the ultimate. And consensus building, right? You're taking all of the ideas, and you're producing something that can satisfy perhaps everybody on the team. Sounds like a profound task suited for a leader and also for the feminine energy. The feminine energy is specifically apt in doing exactly this, which is hearing, listening, understanding, breaking everything down to its essential properties. It's very much a process of being in a sense, also. Really breaking everything down and then coming up with something that's going to make everyone happy. As opposed to a reaction of saying, well, I like this, I'm the leader, and I like this, that's how we're doing, that's where we're going. That's not, that's not leadership, that's like, Bob says I'm passionate, so I say I'm passionate, and I have the final call, so this is what we're doing. That's not leadership, because you're not bringing everybody onto the team. Leadership is really listening, and building, a cons- really building trust between everybody, that all of your ideas are taken into consideration, and we're going to do something that satisfies, either directly or indirectly, also your concern and your ideas. Does this make sense? Yeah. That is the role, that is a feminine energy. Think about the process of procreation. There's the role of the man and the role of the woman. The role of the man is... Here you go. This is... This is this is, this is my contribution. This is what I've got. The woman's role is, well, let me break this down. Let me, let me break this down, understand it, integrate it. I'm not just... Okay, I'm not just... It's not just, right, pouring in and pouring out. What's going to come out is going to be a, a, a child. It's going to be a human being. It's going to be life. You didn't give me life. You gave me different things that had the potential for life. But I, as the female, turned all turned this into life. That is the role of malchut, the role of leadership, the role of the feminine energy. So all chesed, chesed, gvuras, gvurat, everyone's got its head, everyone's got its... Malchut takes everything in, and therefore can produce something amazing, something radically new and creative that wasn't there before. Once, before I get to any questions, one, a few more points. Part of this, part of the ability for Malcha to do so, as I've alluded to in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in, in speaking this out, part of the profound ability for Malcha to do this is its ability, Malchut's ability, to really listen and understand. In other words, to really receive what it's being given. In other words, to really get what, what is being presented before it. Again, in the example of a leader, a true leader is really listening to all of the opinions and making a decision based on that, but really listening. Not just saying, well, that resonates with me, so we're going to go that way. But really listening. Okay, so Malchut, therefore, as I said before, is considered leislam It doesn't bring it. It doesn't have. 
Remember what I said in the Aramaic? It doesn't have its own energy. What does that mean? The moment it has its own energy is the moment that it ceases to listen to all the other energies. Because the moment it has its own flavor, then whatever speaks to it, it's right. Imagine the leader says, I have my, I'm leaning toward Gvura. I'm more of the Gvura guy. So you're talking, you're t- giving me a bunch of options. I'm going to go with what I'm going to go with what I'm comfortable with. That's not malchut. That's not leadership. That's just you. That's dictatorship. It's not leadership. It's different. It's a different point. A, dictatorship means, right? You're just you're just going with what. Chesed is a dictator. Chesed says, you know what we're going to do today? Chesed. Gvura is a dictator. You know what we're going to do today? Gvura. Malchut is not a dictator. Malchut means the ability to not have one's own opinion. To not, be, to not be jaded by one's own color, so to speak, by one's own flavor, by one's own personality, to really listen and to then produce something based on what you've got. Now, one, one, one second, one second. This is all malchut. This is all malchut. So that's why malchut, so when we say that malchut doesn't have its own, so wow, that's, that's terribly, that's, that's horrible. Malchut doesn't have anything to itself. Malchut is just, no, on the contrary. On the contrary, the fact that it doesn't have its own means that it has no previous bias. It's able then to accomplish the greatest creativity possible that's only, po- that's only possible when there is no preconceived bias. Right? The fact that it doesn't have its own means that it has the ability to really create something new that wasn't there before. And in this case, the case of the team, of, of, the, of, the, of the leadership example here before, is to create a new option that includes all of the other options. It's not possible if you have your own bias. If you have your own bias, so all you're doing is regurgitating one of the opinions. All you're doing is saying, well, there's a chesed option, a gvur option. I happen to be a gvur guy, so boom, I like the gvur option. That's what we're doing. It's not consensus building. It's not team building. It's not leadership. Leadership means you're listening to all the opinions and you're really understanding them and then you're coming out with an option that works for everybody. That's, and that's a novel thing. That's why Malchot is nothing and everything at the same time. When I say nothing, means nothing of its own, no, no, no previous bias, but everything because it satisfies everything and it creates something that's truly novel. Adam, one second. One, one more second. One other, I just want to put everything out and then we're going to get questions. Therefore, like this, it says that in the, in the celestial beings, bodies, the sun is the masculine and the moon is the feminine. Okay, this is very important. The sun is masculine and the moon is feminine. So how do we understand this? Okay, because the sun is the giver of light. The moon is the recipient of light. The moon doesn't have its own light. The moon is a, the moon is a rock, pretty much. Right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah the, moon, the moon is solid. The sun is hydrogen, it's gas. The sun is, is luminous. The moon, the moon is a solid rock. Right? What was that? Seven. Third rock from the sun? Anyway, so it's, that's, us. that's us, right. But the moon is also a rock from the sun. Anyway, so you have a rock. It's a rock. So how is it bright? How does it give light at night? Because it receives light, so it gives light. Let's get it. Huh? It reflects light. So, so the, moon is, the moon and sun interplay is the ultimate expression of this. The sun is giving. The moon is receiving. But because the moon receives, it can give light in a situation or type of light that the sun itself can't give. Even when the sun's checked out, at least in this part of the world, we can't see it, the moon is able to reflect the light. 
But here's something much deeper. Look at the cycle of the moon. What happens? Let's start, and again, this, the Jewish months go according to the moon. The calendar is according to the moon. At least the months. The truth is the Jewish calendar, as we've spoken about before, reconciles both because we have leap years to bring it back to the solar calendar. Every three years, pretty much. Because the lunar year, just getting very technical for a second, the lunar year is only 354 days, whereas the solar year is 365. So that means you're losing 11 days every year. So every three years or so, we've got to add another month to the Jewish calendar to kind of get us back to reconcile with the... Otherwise, Rosh Hashanah would sometimes be in the summer, and Passover would be in the winter, and that we can't do, or Passover would be in the fall. So we've got to keep the seasons aligned with the holidays. At the same time, though, the months go according to the lunar calendar. That was too, too much information, but let me get back. <laughs> so getting back to the, 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 the months. So Rosh Chodesh, which happens to be the, uh, the name, the Hebrew name, Rosh to understand the concept of Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh means the first of the month. Rosh is head, Chodesh is month. The head of the month, first day of the month. So the Jewish month that goes according to the, to the lunar calendar, the first of the month is defined as the birth, quote-unquote, the birth of the new moon. New moon, same moon, right? But the first time the moon appears after it completely waxes, is get, which one is which? Wax is getting bigger, and wanes is getting smaller. So after it's completely waned, waned, oh, seven, eight, right after it's waned, so then when it waxes again, right, when it, when it begins, the waxing process, the waxing process, <laughs> then, that's Rosh Chodesh, when, it, when the birth of the new moon is Rosh Chodesh. Now this is very important. What happens? The moon gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then at the 15th day of the month, the middle of the month, 14th and a half day, it begins to get smaller. So it gets bigger and then it gets smaller. So what's happening here? How does this, what does this mean for... Huh? Here's, here's the thing I want to take. The moon, like Malchut, is in the process of receiving, right, receiving the energies, receiving the sun's energy. The more it receives, the bigger it gets. Right? The more it gets. When it gets everything, then what happens... So here's the deal. It gets all the light, right? all the energy it's getting, but then what happens is because of Malchut is all about not, not is all Malchut is not about itself. Malchut is about what it's getting and theref, so therefore there's a process of self-humbling. The, the sun getting, the moon getting smaller is symbolic of the process of once I've heard all of the information I now reduce myself from the equation, and I now diminish so that I'm, I, you don't see me anymore as an entity. Right? I'm the leader of this team. And everyone's speaking. Everyone's speaking to me because I'm the leader. So, so everyone's sharing their ideas. So I get filled with ideas. And then the process is I disintegrate my own personality. Or disintegrate the wrong term. I de- de- com- deconstruct my own personality, to get, to get intimately connected to the source, to intimately connected to each idea. In other words, the closer, the, the more I understand each idea, the less me is there. So the first thing is I have to understand all the ideas, I have to, I have to receive the information, I have to get filled with the information. But then the, next, the second step is, I shed myself from the process, and I become one with the information I was given. And in that process, I lose my own identity, and you can't see me anymore. So it started out, people are speaking to me, but then once I get that information, then I divest myself of my myselfness, of my selfhood, 
I don't know if this makes sense in, in English. Right? I, I, I lose myself. I become one with the ideas. And then we can produce something that's meaningful. Produce an, a, 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 an action plan that's truly meaningful. This is the process of the moon getting bigger and getting smaller. God forbid the moon getting smaller is a negative thing. On the con- it's the greatest thing. It's the process of humility of really getting to the essence of that which you've received so that you can produce something that is truly called leadership. Otherwise, you're not a leader, you're a dictator. And all you're doing is taking one idea and spitting it back out and saying, this is the plan that we're going to do. I decided to choose that one, so we're doing it. A leader means that you're really losing yourself, yourself, your own personality, within what you're given. And that process parallels the second half of the month. First half of the month is receiving. Second half of the month is divesting oneself and then one is able to give. Now that's, this is my spiel. Okay? This is by way of introduction. Notice we're still on top of page 50. Wait, 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 wait. wait. So, but one second. Before we get to questions, let me just, let me just close in a sense. Let me just make sure all the, all the ends are closed. All the, I, I want to just type all the loose ends and then we're going to get to questions. All the loose ends are like this. The six energies are considered masculine. Chesed through Yisod are considered masculine energies. Why? Because they are all about projecting self. This is what I feel, this is what I believe, they're very passionate, they're projecting self. Malchut is considered the feminine energy because, um, like biologically, it receives the other, it receives that information, it receives that uh, all of the, it, it, it takes within itself all of the energies that are being projected. Malchut then is not just a passive recipient that says, oh, this is what you gave me, this is what I'm going to give out. But Malchut then begins the process of real creation. No creation happens until then. All you have are different ideas. Malchut is about creation, about leadership, about creating something new. How does it do so? Because it doesn't bring its own bias into the conversation. It really gets to the essence of all of the energies, therefore can bring them all together. Even divergent opinions, you can say, well, what's at the source, core of your opinion? What's at the core of your opinion? You're both feeling the same way. Let's do something that satisfies both agendas. You could bring those two together or six together and produce something brilliant. That's Malchut, and that's why Malchut, which is the bottom of this structure, radically, and that's why there was no word. You have the intellectual, the emotional, kind of the practical ideas of how to do it, and then Malchut is, what's Malchut? Malchut's the leader. Malchut's the leader that doesn't bring it, not the dictator, Malchut is the leader that hears, understands, divests itself of its own bias, really gets, and then is able to create. And therefore, Malchut, which is at the bottom, then in turn becomes the top of the next realm of this system. In the supernal worlds, Malchut then, if we have another chart, yeah, I'll use this one, Malchut then becomes the top of the next one. The Keter, the crown for the next one. Am I blocking it? I got it, sort of. Okay, why? Because it is producing something new, something novel, that itself has that same structure and can replicate itself. That's the process of how it works. Um, And it parallels itself, just again, tie all the loose ends in the masculine and feminine, male and female. The male, in the process of procreation, provides the some form of information, right? The seminal uh, drops of information. Then the female takes it in completely, Right, it's absorbed completely in the in the in the female. Then that energy that is I, 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 I don't know how to break down, but it's taken in, and then a child is produced from that. So the the creation, the magic lies in malchut. 
Well, what does Malchut receive? Malchut receives from that which is above it, that which is precedes it, let's say, not above it, and, but that which precedes it, and then the process of creation. All right, let's, um, some questions, John. This is the difference between Mashiach and until Mashiach. Yeah. Until Mashiach, we have wars, right? It says about Mashiach. What is Mashiach? They, one nation will not pick up arms against another nation. They will beat their swords into plowshares. What does that mean? Until now, it's you, you disagree with me, I'll kill you. That's what, until now, that's the thing, right? It's a, it's a masculine energy. It's a conquering thing. It's a, when Mashiach is all about Malchut, it's all about commonality. Let's, let's, let's work together here. Toward a common goal. Nations working together. And I think, in general... I, look, we're in an election year. It's, it's, get, it's getting crazy. I've seen a lot of Malkut on Fox TV lately. There's a lot of synthesis. Oh, I don't know. I mean... So, I'm not saying it's on a grass, more on a grassroots level rather than even the government. And I think, I mean, I'm getting a bit political discussion, but I think that's where the change is going to come. Like, I think a lot of people are seeing... I don't know, I'm one of the entrepreneurs and I'm sitting on collaboration and that sort of thing among entrepreneurs that are different. Pinterest. What's that? Pinterest. Anyway. Anyway, for me it's very inspiring. And it makes me think like a book, it's probably already out there, but have you ever thought about doing something about the Kabbalah leadership? Like a book or a workshop? It's a good idea. We should talk. Yeah. Adam, we'll get you right next year. You know, it, the whole thing of it, of it, of it waxing and waning, mm-hmm. and, 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 and distilling it, it's kind of like that concept of you keep what you got by giving it away. Because see, just because the, the moon gives it all away, it doesn't mean the moon's not there. Right. And, 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 and when it comes to the moon, you have suddenly a rock that shines. If you're able to be humble and to really understand what others are saying, in other words, if you have the ability to be malchut, to be a true leader in the sense of you're listening first, then you really shine. Even a rock can shine. For the sun to shine is no big uh, kunz, as they say. There's no big trick. For a moon to shine, so we each have the ability to... Adam. I want to go back to what you said some time ago now about bias. Yes. This may seem like a very subtle distinction. Is it about not having bias, or is it about being able to transcend that bias or put it aside long enough so that this uh, process, which I guess is more of a census process, can can work? Great question. No, I, I, I think I understand your question. In other words, I, I think at the heart of your question is, well, if somebody recognizes that they have a bias, does that mean that they can never be, they can never really be in that position of leadership? So, I, think they can, I do think they can. It's just a matter of putting it to, putting it aside. Right, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. If somebody feels like, well, I have a bias, their internal process, their internal work would be 
to quiet that voice or quiet that bias and really listen. In other words, as we said with the moon, it deconstructs itself to really understand that it, it wanes, it gets smaller because it's, or at least it looks like it's not actually, it looks like it's getting smaller because it's about the process of, of losing itself diminishing itself to really get what the others are saying. So if somebody is blessed with the ability to, oh, to, to, to not, have, you know, not have the bias, that's great uh, for, this, for these purposes. Maybe it's not good for other purposes, but for this, these purposes it's great. But for, um, for somebody that, that comes into the, to the discussion with, a, uh, with an agenda, with a position, the process, it would, be, it, would be more, it would be internal work, but it could be done, and that is to, as you said, to kind of transcend that or push it to the side or quiet that voice to, to literally, like the moon, make oneself smaller so that one can actually connect with that which is being uh, transmitted. Well, if it didn't have a bias, it wouldn't be a code of energy. I mean, it, it, by virtue of the fact that it's a... You're saying it has... Energy, it has a bias. Right. You're saying it has a bias. It's bias is what it is. Yeah. Energy, yeah. I'm with you. Right. It's gender, though, right? I mean, it's energy right, right. It's not necessarily... Right. It's not necessarily men or women. It, but it's, here's the point. You know, it, there's... It, we could talk about two different modes of conduct, right? Two different modes of conduct. We could say one is more masculine and one is more feminine. And again, I, whenever we get into these discussions, and, and it, when we get it, the more practical we get, the more the the, the closer we're treading to. Well, I, you know, this and that, you know, practical, being contradicted by practical. And again, we always have to go back to the same point. This is not gender specific as in every man and every woman, but these are energies. A, a man that's in a position of leadership. I would hope is, uh, is, is understanding the value of this process of really understanding and building consensus and, 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 and leading in a way that everywhere everyone feels like they're, up, they're part of the process as opposed to just dictating. That's more of a feminine energy, but a certainly man could do it. A woman can be assertive. It's not, gender, it's not gender exclusive, right? But these are certain energies that are more masculine or more feminine based on the, based on the specific roles of either the, the giver or the receiver. And again, receiving, I think what, what's also what I want to emphasize, and then we're going to close, what I want to emphasize from all of this is that when we say that Malchut is the recipient, the recipient, right? it sounds like recipient is a passive role. On the contrary, this is the most active role. It requires the most effort, in a sense, it's easy to spout your opinion, but to listen to somebody else and to then bring people that, that have contradictory opinions together and produce something that's really going to solve the problem and really create goodwill, etc., and satisfy the issue, that is the greatest creation, right? It's like the role of in childbirth, right? Who's doing more work? Certainly, it's clear, right? It's, it's, and it's, you say without the, without one you can have the other. I, I get it, but no one would say that because you know, in a sense, biologically, one is the giver, one is the recipient. Therefore, one is doing less. Or, of course not. The, the woman is certainly building out this child for nine months and, and giving birth to the child. So th- there's no doubt that when we say that Malchut is a recipient, we're not reser- we, we're not referring to a passive role. The problem is, and this is, I, we, I was thinking about taking this as far as the introduction, the, and maybe we'll, we'll elaborate on it a little bit next week, because we've got to close it out right now, but the, the problem is, what's the problem after all that? The problem is that we tend to, passive versus active, we tend to, uh, we tend to associate certain terms with certain either um, uh, 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 qualities or deficiencies. In other words, you say, oh, passive, oh, passive, 
passive must mean weaker. Passive must mean less active. Pa- no, 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 recipient, not passive. Recipient must mean passive. Recipient must be weaker. Recipient must be inferior. Recipient must be da da da. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe next week we'll get into an exploration of where um, historically or sociologically that comes from. But the well, let's understand that when Kabbalah speaks of these, they're all in the positive. None of it is negative. Right? Well, the negative connotations are stuff that we throw on, or that society is throwing on, or history is throwing on. That's, but that's not what we're saying. We're not saying because malchut is the, is the receiving energy, therefore it's doing less and it's inferior. On the contrary, there's more on one level, and it's superior because it's actually producing. Anyway, I think you get what I'm saying. And uh, the point is that, that's the point. Good. Um, so, as you'll notice, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're still on page 50 at the top. We will get into this text. Actually, we're still on 49. We can't get to 50. Not in this class time. Not in this. Oh, well done. From, yeah, from last week. The 50th gate of understanding. Yeah, good. Um, good. So, we're going to... Um, by the way, so um, Moses, we said, was about understanding. So, that this, the point is that understanding, which is a feminine quality, is not exclusive to women. Because Moses was struggling with the 50th... Chamber. So, again, it's not gender specific, but there are certain energies here. That's today. So what do we do today? Today we spoke about the union or the genders of masculine and feminine energies within the spherot. We talked about two, uh, two opportunities or two uh, points of, of union. One between Chachma and Bina, masculine and feminine. One between Zah and Malchut. We spoke about those, how those two unions parallel masculine and feminine unions. We spoke a little bit about how that plays out in gender roles, perhaps, um, and some of the miscommunication or, or challenges that come with relationships. What else did we speak about? And uh, we just spoke about a lot of good stuff. So that's today. Next week, we're going to break down and we will, uh, please God, without promising, we will please God get into chapter 5 and, uh, and begin reading it in the inside. All of it, Sugazunt. Sugazun, all of this is is profoundly, all this profoundly important because you know when we read it in the inside, it's going to be very kabbalistic and it's going to be very esoteric. But what we've discussed in the in last week and this week are going to be the uh, the keys to really understanding and 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 getting into the heart of this matter. All right, thank you all for coming out this week. We'll see you all next.